Jesus' teaching is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. He tackles tough issues head-on. In an age when marriage is no longer revered as sacred and holy, and in a time when divorce is just as prevalent among Christians as non-Christians, it's important to remember that God says he hates divorce, and it's important to hear what Jesus says about it. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Well, we uh, have been continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount. I hope that you have been learning and growing and been helped by this. Uh, I hope that you love the Sermon on the Mount, because if you don't, then you're going to be very unhappy for the next several months, because we're staying in the Sermon on the Mount. It'll be well into the new year. Very excited about what it means to be a true follower of Christ, what it means to live according to to the constitution of the kingdom of God. The constitution of the kingdom of God is just another fancy way of talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Those of us who are Christians, those who belong to the kingdom of God, understand that those who are part of the kingdom live by the regulation or by the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're the first-time visitor here today, if you've never been here before, if you're listening online for the first time, then you picked a very interesting time to visit us because today is going to be a little bit more controversial than usual. Can I remind everybody, everything that Jesus says is confrontational in nature. Why? Because truth confronts us. We who are fallen, we who have the sin nature, need to be taught what it means to please God. By nature, we don't know. And this is why God sent Christ into this world. For many of us, we understand that Jesus came to die for us. But what a lot of us don't realize is that Jesus also came to live for us. He came to teach us how to live, how to be true followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, I'm not going to make apologies for Jesus. How many know that's a good idea? Don't apologize for anything Jesus says. But do understand this, that what he says is sometimes offensive, and sometimes it cuts awfully close to the bone. This is why the writer of Hebrews says that the scripture is like a double-edged sword, very sharp and very capable of revealing to you your sin, your prejudices, and so often the deception and the lies that we tell ourselves. If you've come to Cross Church today, then you have come to a place where you're gonna hear the truth even though it may be a little bit offensive. So if you're offended today, please don't shoot the messenger. Don't throw anything at me. I'm only telling you 
what Christ has taught us. Now, you can imagine why I am, I am setting the stage here, because here's what you need to know. Today, I'm going to be talking to you, uh, really, it's an extension of what we were talking about last week. I'm talking to you about divorce. Some of you remember last week, we talked about uh, what Jesus said about lust and adultery. It follows that the next thing that we need to talk about, because it's so closely connected, is the conversation about divorce. But before I, I, I get into that, just to help you understand that we are people of the book, of the word of God. We are people, as Christians, who are committed to obeying Jesus. We don't do what we want to do, we do what Jesus says, right? Anybody who makes up their own religion, anybody who, who tries to twist the scriptures or to make it say what it doesn't say is, is what we would call a heretic or somebody who's not truly converted. In June 21, a young lady by the name of Joe Lumen said this, since conservative Christians keep coming at me, here, take this, I'm a Christian and I believe that proselytizing or evangelizing is violence against another. How can you be called a Christian if you don't do what Jesus said? Jesus in Matthew 28 said what? Go into all the world and evangelize. Teach everybody to obey everything I've commanded. But she says that that's violence against others. And she says that she is a Christian. Hey, just look at me for a moment because I know some of you are reading ahead. Just look at me for a moment. Understand something today. There's no such thing as saying you have your truth and I have my truth. There can only be truth. This notion, this idea that we can all believe whatever we want to believe and all be right is contrary, first of all, to Scripture, but it's also contrary to the laws of logic. You can't say that one plus one is three, and you say one plus one is two, and both be right. No matter how convinced, no matter, no matter if, if this is your great conviction that you would die for this, that doesn't make you right. It means that you are wrong. Even though you may be sincere about it, it just means you're sincerely wrong. This is, this is the great Christian belief system that we hold to. So she says, I'm a Christian, and I believe that LGBTQ plus people are divine and should actually lead us. I am a Christian, she says, and I learn a lot from people who do not share my faith. I'm a Christian, and I don't go to church. Hmm. I'm a Christian, and I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. I'm a Christian, and I embrace sex positivity, which includes, but isn't limited to, sex outside of marriage. So I can tell you every single one of these statements is actually in opposition to the word of God. And by the way, in case you don't know it, Christ himself is actually called the word of God. He is God's revelation to us. If you want to know what God is like, and if you want to know what God is thinking, if you want to know what God wants of us, 
then you only have to look to Jesus and you will discover God. No wonder the Apostle Paul says, I want to know Jesus Christ above all else. You need to know where I'm coming from. You may disagree with me today, which is your right, but what you need to know is that here at this church, this is what we believe and this is what we teach. We do not teach a Christianity that is created in your own image. How many know today that we were created in the image of God? And so, and so, and this is this is how this is how God organized it. And because we've been created in the image of God, we've been created to imitate Him, to be like Him, actually, to do His will on earth as it is in heaven. The problem is, is there's so many people who have this notion, this idea, that Christianity is antiquated. It's old, it's old fashioned. We need to get the church up to date. We need to bring the church into the 21st century. We need to get the church to the place where it is now relevant for all people. And the answer to that is no. No, that's not what we do. The word of God is still the gold standard for life. Remember, Jesus came into this world to die for us and to live for us, to teach us what is the mind and the will of God. This is what we do. We obey God, we do his will on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm setting all that up to share with you what some might consider to be shocking teaching, very difficult teaching. And it comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. And here's what Jesus says. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce, a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, if that is not clear enough, Jesus actually repeats himself further on in the Gospel of Matthew. We turn to Matthew chapter 19. We're looking at verses 3 to uh, verse 11, and here's what Jesus says. Some Pharisees have come to Jesus to trap him, to get him to say something that is heretical. And so they think, we know how we can catch him. We know how we can get him into a place where he says something heretical, and then we can throw him into jail and maybe even kill him. We're gonna ask him about divorce. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Remember that, for just any reason. And here's what Jesus says. Hmm. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus asked? The record that from the beginning, God made the male and female makes it clear. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. 
Then, they asked, why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. Because your hearts were hard. That's why Moses allowed it. But it was not what God had originally intended. It's not what God wanted. It's certainly not what God wants for his people. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. Unless his wife has been unfaithful. And we could add, unless his husband, unless her husband has been unfaithful. And then the Jesus, the Jesus' disciples, they, they just stood there stunned. And they said, if this is the case, it's better not to get married. And Jesus, in response to them, said, hey, guys, paraphrasing a bit, hey, guys, not everyone can accept this statement. Only those whom God helps. Not only is this shocking stuff for the year 2020, but it is, it is difficult for us to, to live by. It's difficult for us to get our brains around. And before I go any further, I, I want to acknowledge that there are many in our congregation who have suffered terribly from the pain of divorce. They've suffered and, and ex, experienced all manner of struggle and difficulty. And I want to be sensitive to you today. I don't want anybody here to feel that they've come to church to be condemned by the pastor. That's not what we're doing here today. And I do have a word for you at the, at the end of my message. But for right now, we need to understand the mind of God. We need to understand what Jesus teaches us about marriage and about divorce. So let's take a look at verse 31, and then we'll look at verse 32. Now, you'll notice that Jesus says, it was also said, and the reason he's saying that is because he's referring to, to what he has just said and what we just talked about last week. You've heard that it was said. Well, Jesus is saying the same thing. You've heard that it was said. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And that's all you need to do. Where does this teaching come from? Because Jesus is saying, this is what rabbis are teaching. These are, these are what the spiritual, the, the, the teachers of the law are teaching you. That all, If you want to get a divorce, all you have to do is get a certificate, give it to her, and it's done. Jesus is saying, hold on a minute here. What is the will of God? Is this really what God has said in the Old Testament? This teaching comes from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. And in that passage of scripture, and you can read it yourself later, the author of Deuteronomy 24 is saying, and the author we recognize as God himself is saying, that if a man divorces his wife for uncleanness, and then she turns around now and marries another man who also divorces her, the original husband cannot go back and marry that wife again. That is not permitted. He is not allowed to marry her because she was with another man. 
Jesus is now going to make us understand this. We read in Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, it says that if that's going on in the, in the land of Israel, this will defile the land of Israel. This will defile God's people, and it will defile this couple. We, we cannot have people getting, getting married, getting a divorce, marrying somebody else, and getting back together again, and being with all manner of people. This is what it's saying. But you'll notice that in the middle of that passage of Scripture, that the author talks about uncleanness. Now, we don't really know exactly what that means. We, we believe, and most Bible scholars believe, that that uncleanness is something, some kind of a sexual uncleanness. But here's what happened with the rabbis. Rather than focusing on the prohibition against, against marrying a woman, divorcing her, and then, and then taking her back and marrying her again, rather than focusing on that, what they did is they focused on the word uncleanness. And over time, that uncleanness began to be interpreted as, as a woman doing anything that a husband disple- was displeased with. So for instance, man comes home after a hard day in the fields, and she has burnt his food, and he says, that's it, I can't take it anymore, out. We're getting a divorce because you burnt my food. Or he gets home from work, and rather than having the newspaper and his slippers ready, she's busy doing her fingernails. And the man says, that's it, you don't love me, you don't care about me, out. They came to the conclusion, the man was unhappy with his wife, He could divorce her, give her a certificate of divorce, and that would be it. And Jesus is saying, hang on a moment, everybody. You are twisting the scripture to make it say whatever you want. Folks, this is exactly what happens in every generation and over and over again. This is why Martin Luther, for instance, in the 16th century, rose up against the Roman Catholic Church because Roman Catholicism had become anything and everything but biblical Christianity. And you know the story. He composed his 95 theses, the 95 reasons why the Catholic Church had got off track. He nailed it to the doors of the church and he began what was called a protest or reformation because things had gotten off track. Well, guess what? The same thing was happening in Jesus' day. A reformation was needed. And Jesus comes along and says about the Jewish leaders, you got it all wrong. You're not teaching the scripture. You're not teaching the truth. And by the way, we just finished reading the, 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 the nonsense from poor Joe in her Twitter feed. I would say that as in Jesus' day and as in Martin Luther's day, that today we need another revolution, another reformation. People need to know the truth that sets them free. They need to know what the word of God says. You cannot create a religion in your own image. This is called idolatry. And that's exactly what's happening now. 
You and I, as Christians, we come in surrender and in submission to the truth called God's word. Our longing, our desire as Christians is to what? To obey God. This is why Jesus had to start a reformation. And they, honestly, they tried to do do to Martin Luther what they did to Christ. They tried to kill him. Our world, if you haven't figured this out yet, is under the influence of Satan himself. He's called the God of this world. And he and his people, he and this culture, he and this world are opposed to Scripture, opposed to the Word of God, opposed to the Christian message. And by the way, if you are going to follow Christ, understand that you too will come under attack. Some of you are already experiencing that. So we are going to reject the false teaching of this generation, just as Jesus rejected the false teaching of his generation. Instead, what Jesus says is that this sexual uncleanness is something exceptional. It's, it's rare, it's a rare thing, but it's an exceptional thing. What we need to do is not figure out reasons why we should be able to get a divorce. Rather, what we need to do is focus on God's will for marriage. And so what I want to quickly do, based on the two passages of Scripture that we read this morning, from Matthew 19 and Matthew 5, so we want to look at the principles of marriage, the first principles of marriage. The first thing you need to recognize is that when God created Adam and Eve, he created one woman and one man. Not in that order. One man and one woman. And together, they became husband and wife. They became one. That's the first principle that you need to understand. And understand that there were no multiple partners. Adam didn't have multiple partners, which is what our culture tells us, our society tells us. Why? Because the God of this world hates God, hates the word of God, and tells us it's okay. In fact, our culture, our world, actually celebrates the man who has multiple partners and the woman who has multiple partners. But as we look in the scripture, one man, one woman become one, and there are no multiple partners. The second thing that we quickly recognize is that initially all divorce was inconceivable. No one could believe or conceive of the idea of a man and woman who were married getting a divorce. When God made man and woman, there was no, there was no footnote in the contract that said, oh, and by the way, if you don't like her, Adam, I'll, I'll take another rib and make another woman for you. This is your woman, love her, embrace her, serve her, care for her, protect her, cherish her. And that's how it began. No provision for divorce at all. The third thing we recognize is that the creator said that for this reason, a man will leave his family, his mother and father, and he will be joined to his wife, joined, 
They will become one flesh. They become a new family unit. They come together, they love each other, and they're one. And then Jesus adds, they are no longer two but one. Period. Are you getting this? A man and a woman get married, they become one flesh, they're one, they're linked. In fact, they're linked forever. And that's why Jesus is therefore, what God has joined together, let not anyone separate or put asunder. And if you're still not sure about God's will concerning us and marriage, let's take a look at what the prophet Malachi says. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord says, for I hate divorce. In case you're wondering, does God mind? No, God hates it. He hates it. The God of Israel hates divorce. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. By the way, you know the Lord of Heaven's armies? That's the angel armies. He is the Lord of them all. He, the prophet wants you to get an idea where this is coming from. And so he says, so guard your heart. Guard it well. Why? So that you will not be unfaithful to your wife. This is how God wants you and I to live. This is it. Now, I wish I could somehow water this down and make it not so stark and maybe not so difficult. But that's not the kind of church you came to today, and that's not the kind of pastor you have. I've got to tell you the truth. I've got to tell you what you need to hear. I've got to tell you exactly what the Word of God says. The reason people divorce is because of selfishness, because of sin. Can we call it like, like it is? That's the, that's the fact. And by the way, it's never just one-sided. Don't anybody ever let you think that it's one-sided. So here it is. This is these are the first principles. And there's one more that I want to add to this. Within this framework, it's obvious that if Moses permitted divorce for some gross uncleanness, it was an exception. It was an exception. And because it's an exception, it's extremely rare. Folks, the word of God makes it clear to us that divorce and this willingness to, to get a divorce and just to give, the, give your wife a certificate of divorce, this indicates and shows us the sinfulness and the hardness of our hearts. This is who we are. But here, here's something else you need to know about yourself. And th- this, is about, this is me too. It's everybody in this room. We are masters at fooling ourselves, deceiving ourselves, and deceiving others. Can I tell you that those of us who are deceiving ourselves are listening to the father of deception, who is Satan himself? We need to, we need to confess that. We need to admit that, as difficult as it is. We need to say, yeah, that's actually true. See, you may be able to fool yourself 
You may be able to talk yourself into believing that your position is right and correct, and you may be able to convince others of that, but at the end of the day, you can't fool God. Now, I know some of you are sitting here today feeling very, very condemned. Listen, that's not what I'm doing here today. This is not one of those hellfire and brimstone sermons. I'm telling you, what this is today is, is an education in God's will and God's plan for marriage. We need to know this. And you'll see that once we understand this, it radically changes the way we live. Before I jump into that, let me quickly share with you verse 32. And Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality. And by the way, the, the, the translators of this have translated sexual immorality. In the Greek, it's the word pornea, which sometimes is, is translated as prostitution. Everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, this is what Jesus is telling the Jewish people. And for some of us, we think, well, maybe this is a new teaching of Jesus. And the fact is, it's not. This is actually what the Old Testament teaches. And Jesus has got to get people away from their wrong ideas away from the religion that's been created in their own image. And he says, here's what you need to know. Jesus is, what he's doing here is he is tightening our misconceptions. He is showing us the direction that the Old Testament points us. Anyone who divorces his wife is at fault. Why? Because he is causing her to commit adultery if she marries someone else. Since the first link is not really broken. The second thing you need to recognize is that the man who marries a divorcee is likewise committing adultery before God. He is, in fact, marrying another man's wife. This is tough. But I want to bring to you some peace and some comfort in a moment. But first of all, we need to understand this. We need to understand what we're talking about. Again, getting back to that term, sexual immorality, the word pornea. In the analytical lexicon to the Greek New Testament, they define pornea as being every kind of extramarital, unlawful, or unnatural sexual intercourse. Anything that is against the first principles that we just talked about. I am shocked at the number of people today who call themselves Christians who live in extramarital sexual relationships. There is no provision in Scripture for common law, common law marriage. Again, we're not judging or condemning. We're telling you what the Scriptures teach us, what God wants for us. There is no provision in Scripture for premarital sex. The thing that we discover about sex is that it is only for a husband and wife who have made vows to each other. They made a commitment for better or for, for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and, 
and in health. I'm making that commitment to you, whatever it takes. This is what Jesus wants. This is what the scripture teaches. The, the scholar Lee Gattis also argues that pornea encompasses, in fact, all forms of premarital sex. So we recognize the only allowance for divorce is if the other partner is involved in some sort of sexual immorality. But having said that, Jesus is not commanding that you get a divorce. In fact, I believe that what Jesus would like is for you to try to work on your marriage and try to forgive each other and try to make things right. But if you can't, then Jesus says, yes, you may divorce. Wow. Our generation, this generation, needs to be confronted with this truth because this generation hasn't got a clue. For years and years and years, for decades, for centuries, everybody understood the rules of sexual relations. It was for marriage, for one man and one woman who become one flesh. Today, anything goes. Anything that you can imagine, it goes. But this, the scripture teaches, is utterly and completely against the will of God. Oh, it used to be that divorce was a problem rarely found in Christian circles. Unfortunately, some say that the number of, of divorces within the church is, is equivalent to the number of divorces among people who don't know Christ. That's a problem. And I believe that it's the fruit of of churches that do not teach the word of God. When you teach the scripture, when you teach what Jesus teaches, then you're gonna find yourself holding to a truth that pleases the Lord. You see, at the end of the day, some people have this very strong notion, very wrong idea, that God just wants you to be happy. Any preacher on TV that tells you that God wants you to be happy, shut it off immediately. I command you, <laughs> don't listen to that. I'll tell you what Jesus, what God wants for you. God wants you to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. He wants you to be like Jesus. He wants you to obey him. And in obeying Jesus, that is when you are happy. That's when the happiness and the joy and the peace come. You know, our society, including many profession, professing Christians, have rejected this biblical idea of marriage. They, they've rejected the biblical idea of love. Some of you will remember a few years back, Gwyneth Paltrow, Oscar-winning actress, when she and her husband decided they were getting a divorce. They didn't call it a divorce because that sounds too harsh. They called it a conscious uncoupling. This is what I'm talking about, about deceiving yourselves. Look, you can call it whatever you, you want. But at the end of the day, it's still divorce. Conscious uncoupling? What kind of baloney is that? It's nonsense. 
And so there's Gwyneth and Chris Martin of Coldplay, no longer married. They are consciously uncoupled. Whatever you call it, folks, it's still sin. It still goes against the word of God. Love, sadly, has become a mixture of physical desire and some sort of vague sentimentality. And as long as I feel in love, we'll stick with it. But the minute I don't feel in love anymore, well, hey, then we've got to terminate this thing. For so many people, marriage is simply a, a temporary sexual union. I'm, I'm happy now that I'm married, but as soon as I don't feel in love anymore, then we're going to dissolve this pathetic, shrunken union. And we're going to get consciously uncoupled. Folks, listen to me. I am so sick of listening to people say, Love wins. You don't get to say that unless you actually know what love is. And we understand that we, in our sinful state, do not have the ability to define what love is. God, in his word, defines for us what love actually is. We go to the word of God to find out what love is. And in case you wonder what it is, Jesus says that all of the commandments in the Old Testament can be summed up. Love, for, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor, love your husband, love your wife as yourself. You don't get to define what love is. God defines what love is. And why can't I define what love is? Because I'm too sinful. I'm too self-centered. My idea of love is Gloria served me all the time. And make sure that my suppers never burn, make sure I always have supper on the table, make sure my slippers, and my, even though I don't wear slippers, make sure my paper is in place, even though I don't read the newspaper, make sure everything is perfect and I don't care that you work full time. That's what a self-centered love would be. If you love me, you'd make sure that all my needs are met. What do you mean you want me to meet your needs? And yet that's how we go about it. No, God defines what love is. We do it his way. So here's the thing. The biblical position is, I'm going to tell you, it's 180 degrees different than the way of this world. So you and I understand that we are married and we're married for life. And I am going to love my wife no matter what. I'm going to tell you that marriage and love is for tough-minded, sincere, committed Christians who say, I don't care what happens, my wife is never going to lose me, and I'm never going to lose her. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 19, and that's why the disciples said, who can live like this? It's better not to marry. And Jesus, understanding the human nature, the human mind, the human heart, he says, exactly, exactly. Only those whom God helps can accept this, Jesus says in Matthew 19, 20. You and I need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us. You cannot live by these standards in your own strength. You will fail miserably, and you'll be knocking on my door saying, Pastor, I need marriage counseling. The first question I'm going to ask, are you living for yourself? Or are you living for your spouse? Well, I would, love, I would love to live for my wife, but if she would only just do things the way I want her to, then we would have a happy marriage. 
There you go in your self-centeredness again. You need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you to enable you to live the way Jesus calls us to live. We often call ourselves Pentecostals here. We believe in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. But in practice, do we really believe it? Because if you really believe in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, you understand that when you became a Christian, the Spirit of the living God came to dwell in you to enable you and to help you to live according to the standards of Jesus Christ. Anybody who follows Christ and allows the Spirit of God to work in them and through them will have a dynamic wonderful marriage. And even if you struggle, still God will help you and you will get through it. Rick Warren, Rick and Kay Warren, pastors of a mega church in Southern California, he talks about how when they first got married, they struggled in their marriage, they're constantly fighting. And he knew that his life would be ruined if he didn't make sure that he learned how to live with this woman. And she's thinking exactly the same thing. He's thinking he's married a shrew, the most difficult woman, female that God ever created, and he's stuck with her. And meanwhile, she's thinking the same thing. For them, it was so important to make sure that their marriage worked. It would have been very easy to divorce. Everybody was doing it. But it was so important for their marriage to work. He said, Kay, we have no money to go to a psychologist or to go to a counselor, but we've got credit cards. And he said, we'll do whatever it takes to make our marriage work. I want to say to you today, do whatever it takes to live as Jesus Christ has called you to live. You make your marriage work. You love your spouse and be prepared even to die for her or him. Hey, I'm going to just lay it down right now for you. Jesus assumes the high view of marriage as outlined in the Old Testament. And for that reason, he flatly prohibits divorce. Did you get it? Jesus prohibits divorce, except for sexual immorality. Otherwise, there's no reason and there's no excuse. And you may be very, very good at making excuses and making reasons why you should be able to. But remember, that comes from the pit of hell, from the father of lies, from the father of deceptions. You may be able to deceive and fool your friends and yourself, but you can't fool God. I need to point out one more thing. Because some people, because of, of their experiences, maybe in their childhood, maybe because of molestation or something to that effect, they feel that marriage is dirty, that marriage is, is filthy, that sex is filthy. But I want to tell you right now, marriage and sex in marriage is a wonderful gift from our creator. It's God's idea. And he wants you to enjoy your wife, to jo- enjoy your husband, Understanding that this union, this sexual union where, in fact, your bodies release hormones that bond you together during the act of sex. This is from God. He created you like this. He wants you to be one. He wants your hearts, your mind, your spirit to be bonded together as one. 
When you understand that, then you understand why, in fact, divorce is so grievous to God. It actually goes against the very creation. It's a violence against God's creation. And so you and I are going to say, Lord Jesus, here am I. Work in me. Lord Jesus, help me. Help me to embrace your word and the absolute purity that you teach us in this passage. Because that's really what it, Matthew 5, 27 to 32 is all about. It's about sexual purity. This is God's will for God's people. Now, I'm fully aware that a number of us here today have struggled and are struggling. Some of us have gone through grievous divorce. Two of our four elders have gone through divorce. And thank God, have been converted and been transformed, and God has helped them through. But don't think for one minute that there are no consequences for sin. And by the way, these consequences, some would say, well, that's just the mean old punishment of a mean old God. No, 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 no. Hebrews 12 teaches us clearly that when there are consequences, it's the very thing God uses to refine us and purify us and make us like Jesus. Don't for a minute think that the consequences are there because God hates you. Far from it. He loves you. And the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. If you're here today and you've messed up, you've sinned against God, the good news is that we have a God who loves us and forgives us of our sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is what that great hymn said that we used to sing years ago. We gotta sing it again. Come, you sinners, lost and hopeless. Jesus' blood can make you free, for he saved the worst among you when he saved a wretch like me. Wow. Come. Come, you sinners. And I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes, I know that Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. Today, if your heart is impure, if your heart has drifted from God, if you feel like I'm ready to divorce my husband, I'm ready to divorce my wife, understand it's you. You're the one that needs to make your heart right with God. It's not my brother and it's not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my husband, not my kids, not my wife. It's me, Lord. Change my heart. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Help me, O oh God, to humble myself that I would serve my beloved. Now, let me just say this to you in closing. God will forgive you your sin, and God can heal your marriage, he can heal your broken heart, but you gotta come to him in obedience. For those of you 
marriage is going along pretty good. You may not give it 10 out of 10, but you maybe give it a 7 or an 8, 9, 10 out of 10. I don't know. I'm going to just close with this because I'm going to tell you what you need to do to maintain a solid wedding, a solid marriage. And here's what Glenn Stanton of the Focus on the Family says. Couples who regularly attend church every week read their Bibles regularly, pray privately and together, and generally take their faith seriously, living not as perfect disciples, but as serious disciples. They, they will enjoy significantly lower divorce rates than mere church members, than mere general public, than mere unbelievers. Did this make you think of anything? Habit one and two? A daily walk with God and regular church attendance. This is what he's saying. These are the ones whose couples enjoy significantly lower divorce rates. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you right now for your hand upon us. Thank you, God, for your word, which is a lamp for our feet. God, we are tempted constantly to go our own way and to live for ourselves. Forgive us, oh God, forgive us for this self-centeredness and give us grace, give us strength to love and to serve one another, to forgive each other's sins, to overlook, overlook each other's sins and failings, to offer a kind word that would turn away wrath. Give us, oh God, a, a solid commitment to love our spouse even when our spouse is not loving in return. Why? Because we want to honor our master, our Lord, our King, Jesus. Have your way in us, we pray. And everyone said it with me? Hey, tell the person beside you, follow Jesus. (laughs)